Hey everyone, it's July 15th, 2021, and this is part two of the conversation with my friends uh, John and Nate on gaming preferences and styles. Here we will delve specifically into the nuances of different styles with cause and effect on the PCs as opposed to all others in the world. We raise two questions that I think are important. What do we allow the PCs to do just because they are PCs? And what do we not do to the PCs just because they are PCs? So there's tons of ways to analyze the different gaming appetites. You can look at all kinds of spectrums. One of the ways I find useful is to view role-playing games as chimeras between, on the one end, you have pure, going back to the roots of role-playing games, pure miniature wargaming, right? Where you have your stats, you have your miniature on the table, and you're moving it around, and you know what you can do, and you're going up against what your enemy can do with a dice, etc. And on the far other end, you have pure make-believe, which is no rules whatsoever, no restraints, just imagination. So role-playing games are some version of smashing those two together, and that's the way they started off with Arneson, right? He had the idea of, you know, you have your miniatures on the table and we're having a war. What if we just focus in on one character? And what if you have a whole bunch of choices outside of do you advance, retreat, flank, you know, whatever. So if we, uh, if we view all of it as, you know, smashing those two things together, I think like every individual role player, not just groups and certainly not in large categories, would we know exactly what it is we want. So, I mean, there's, there's innumerable ways of analyzing this. If, if we just look at player characters and the characters that each person is running, how do you as players or as GMs want the characters to be treated in the world? And so there's a lot of talk about, well, they're the player characters, therefore the they are the protagonists or they're the heroes. And they get to do things that others don't do. Uh, they get to experience things or have uh, what I call the sphere of PC protection around them. So like the things that would affect other people in the world don't affect them because they're the players, right? So there's all these nuances that we can look at just with regards to the player characters. Where do you guys fall on that? What do you prefer? Like when you're a player, what, how do you want to be treated with regards to, in comparison to all the other people in the world? Uh, I actually have a, a hard time really understanding, uh, I don't know, maybe understanding what you're talking about in that respect. Like you, you, you actually use the phrase, you know, how do you get to be treated? And this just seems so foreign to me that there would be and and, and it, like there would be a a 
I mean, you're describing a privilege. You get to do something that others don't get to do. Yeah. You know, and I don't know, maybe, maybe this, this shows how much I haven't thought about alternatives to this. Um, you know, for me, it always goes back to what makes really interesting hero stories and take like, take a character like, um, you know, Iron Man from, from Marvel, you know, privileged billionaire and he doesn't become interesting until he faces limitations you know and I, and I think this is this is an important thing like what, what makes somebody really heroic you know like as people we 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 might strive to have the privileges that celebrities have but we don't consider them heroes you know, it's, it's the people who actually face true difficulties, who overcome those difficulties, you know, who, who face real challenges and who don't have everything handed to them, you know, on a silver platter. That's what makes somebody heroic. And that's why we like, you know, the Luke Skywalker, you know, characters who come from, you know, literally scraping a living out of the dirt to becoming immensely important to the universe. And that, that's what makes an interesting character. And so the, the idea that the GM uh, will allow certain privileges to a character, that's uh, just a foreign concept to me. What yeah, it, it, it is very common, actually, for the GM. And it, it, again, it's, it's somewhere on a spectrum. It's not an all or nothing. Yeah, yeah. But it is kind of a thing where, okay, you're a player, therefore you can do things you yeah. can have exceptional willpower you can have exceptional courage you can have exceptional you know whatever uh that allows you to do something because you're a player and even if that's not made explicit that happens and it's not a fringe activity it's a common activity and then the the justification for it is your heroes heroes do extraordinary things therefore you can do these things yeah i mean i can i can see how those sorts of things would kind of bleed into the gameplay unintentionally and and i suspect that i've let things like that bleed into you know my own campaigns simply because i want i want my players to have a good time you know, I don't, I don't want to put such limitations on them that every moment is a frustrating struggle. You know, that's, that's not enjoyable gaming. Um, so I, 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 I won't say that I've never done this, but I don't think I've ever intentionally allowed a player to be privileged in a way that other people in the world wouldn't be privileged. So uh, I think that that gives uh, a little bit of uh, latitude for the GM to have some discretion, uh, maybe giving the benefit of the doubt to the player when it could be, you know, negative or positive. I do that sometimes, um, especially when the player is showing good effort. You know, they're, they're role-playing their character. They're trying to stay within the confines of their story, their background, what they think their character would behave like. You know, given, given all that, and maybe some dice rolls have gone their way and some, some not – um, if it comes to a point where I get to decide, okay, yeah, uh, you do run into the guy you were looking for, you've searched for four days and you just happen to see him, you know, it could be as simple as something like that. 
Right. So we, we actually have two different, uh, at least two different questions going on. One is the things that happen to the player characters, should they have a different set of cause and effect than other people in the world for the sake of, let's say, your campaign or your story or the excitement of the moment? That's one of them. And the other one is, can these people do things that other people in the world can't do? And specifically what I'm thinking of would be issues of, like we've talked about with self-control or willpower. So in in this discussion, we're thinking about, you you have a character who says, okay, I'm going to go lay in a copse of trees. I'm going to climb this tree and I'm going to stare down at this valley for the next 12 hours. And so the question is, okay, physically, are you capable of doing it? Well, let's say the answer is yes. But then with the question of willpower, can you make yourself do that without someone having a gun to your head? Like without like being certain that it is life or death that you do it or not. And then we think about like Navy SEAL training and some of these guys fail because they can't lay in a spot for whatever it is, that X number of hours. So anyway, we have two different uh, issues. One, the things that happen to the player characters, are they to be treated differently than other people? And B, can the player characters do things that we would think, okay, this guy wouldn't really do that because it takes too much willpower or courage or whatever? I think, uh, yeah. I think the hardest thing to juxtapose into the role-playing environment is, you know, things like willpower and fear. And when a player says, you know, like your example, I want to stand and, and watch the road for the enemy for 12 hours straight. I don't think there's very many people on the planet that could actually do that today. And, and you know, to get to that point requires you to be an expert at that task. You know, so you take the, the Navy SEAL who's been two years in the works, hard physical, mental stress training to get to the point where they can go out on a mission and sit there for 12 hours waiting for the one guy to walk by so they can take him out. You know, uh, just look at the fail rate. It's like 90%, something like that. So in those cases, um, making the player make a self-discipline check or some type of dice check with, you know, whatever relevant bonuses or modifiers. And then the dice are the dice there. And if they're, you know, if they're, if, if they're within one point, maybe they failed by a percent or, a, you know, one out of a 20, they were really close. I, depending on if I feel it merits that they find the guy, cause it's super important for the story to go forward another couple steps, then yes, I'll probably give them the benefit of the doubt, but I'm, they're not going to be superhuman in those regards, in my opinion. Well, but yeah, aren't essentially, or isn't essentially what you're saying is then that uh, the world does treat the character differently. That, I mean, because what you said, John, was if I think it's important to the story. So you're, you're willing for that character to be able to interact in the world that is that in a way that is beyond what but 
normal humans would be able to do, and you're allowing it because it, it serves the story. So, one of the things I do, let's let's take that as let's 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 continue on that path. So, if the bad guy was supposed to walk down the road on Monday around noon after he does some job and picks up his delivery goods and he's walking down the road. That narrative of that guy doing that action around that time is going to be not written in stone, but that's part of the, the, what Daniel referenced as the story going on, whether the players interact with it is up to them. But let's say that the character said, I get up at eight in the morning because I don't know. And they're going to watch that position until lunch. Okay. There's some subjective sway there that I can, okay, lunch. Okay. That could be 11. It could be one. doesn't matter. He makes a self-discipline role, but if I were to play it strictly by the book and the guy didn't get there until two, according to my timeline, but the player was left at, you know, one thirty, then no, he doesn't see him. But if it's, you know, if he says lunch and the guy's going to say, I'm going to stay there until I'm really hungry, then I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in that case. But this the story the story can go forward there um, if the player puts himself in a position to succeed. Hmm. And if the dice are close enough, I'll I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But if he just fails, I'll just say he fell asleep. You wake up and it's sundown or whatever. You know, that's that's how I would play that out. Hmm. I, I agree with that somewhat. And and I, I guess maybe the the issue comes down to where within that spectrum you personally fall as a GM that like you know, on the one end of the spectrum is that every human in the world uh, is treated the same no matter what whether they're a coward or a hero no matter what they're that all humans fall within that same you know like realm of experience mm-hmm. and on the other end of that spectrum is the extreme privilege of being a hero that the universe recognizes you are a hero and fate happens to you as if you are a hero. And so I guess maybe it just depends on like, as a GM, where you think that character falls between those two extremes. Well, let let me ask you this, Nate. Do you think that the best analogy between a player playing in a game with the hero is the same as a really rich person in this country? Is that about the same thing where the rules don't actually apply the same? To people, no, no. I think I think the better analogy is like a, a video game where some people are players, like humans playing the game, and NPCs. Like if you're a player, whoever coded the game coded it towards we want the player to feel like they're succeeding, uh, therefore we're going to let them do X, Y, and Z. The NPCs are coded to only do other certain things to generate this feeling of reality. And and I'm not saying, you know, any of these styles are good, bad. There's no, no moral judgment going on. It's just recognizing that how you... Uh, how we treat the PCs with re- in relation to the world is going to generate totally different experiences. Hmm. But I, uh, I, think, yeah. I think you're ignoring the, the character build process in and of itself is a perk. It has to be, right? Okay, but I mean, can't you say that all NPCs can be equally generated? Like according to whatever system you've got, 
you can always generate a thousand characters that are just as good as a player can make. I mean, a yeah. GM knows the system better than most players. Right. So, but... so if the GM it wants to be, let's say you have a GM who wants to be totally fair about everything, they're going to make every NPC as well as any player could make the character, and therefore the the you have an evil uh, sorry you have an even playing ground right but but i in most of the systems i've played there's always benefits that go to the player there's like background options and and they give you like uh favored favored background favored economics better stats uh more starting money maybe a magic item maybe they're blessed or have some perk that joe farmer doesn't have and will never have Oh, so you're saying there are some there are some systems, if not most systems, who are all are, are like baking in the notion that players yes. are special. And oh, I, okay. I, I would stereotype. I would go as far as to say that most systems are probably like that. Though I haven't played most systems, hmm. you know, I have experience in old D and D, Champion, Shadowrun, Vampire. Um, you know, Twilight 2000, Morrow Project, um, Rollmaster, Merp, Merp, um, Rollmaster, Harnmaster, and the the benefit is baked in to the it's baked into the gen process as far as I can recall. Yeah, so, I think that's Daniel's question: is is how much should it be baked in? You know, and well, I that, I think that there is a there, there's a tension here between the gamist and the narrativist style. And obviously it, it, it comes down to, you know, just preference, you know, what, what you want to do as a GM and as, as a player. Um, certainly plenty of people want to be destined heroes where the universe just works in their favor. And if, if you're in a game group where that where everybody truly enjoys that type of game, then yeah, more power to you. Play that game to your heart's content. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of going back to the maturity thing, you know, that, that, that just like uh, as you get older and you watch more and more movies, the same story over and over again becomes pretty tedious. And you look for something richer, more nuanced, you know, with with more surprises, you know, something that is is I mean, for me personally, subtle stories have become more and more enjoyable over time. And so the, the, the tension, you know, like, again, going back to the, the, the spectrum thing that I talked about before, just the more experience I have, the closer to non-heroic, I find more satisfying. Okay. Yep. Now I say that, you know, fully admitting that a, a truly realistic story, I think would actually be boring. It is boring, you know, because nobody wants to role play, you know, a realistic life of a person that's not enjoyable, you know, but, but just very light touch on the heroism is what I think is, is actually more enjoyable. Right. I think, you know, the thinking man's movie, the quieter films that aren't two second cuts for the entire two hours of the film. And it's all action, gratuitous action sequences, you know, know. real tension and real action. And you know, a development of a story that is, in a way, that is actually believable. That, yeah. that I think is ultimately more satisfying. And again, maybe this is just an age thing. That you know, if if I were coming into a game 
you know, uh, when I was, you know, 25, um, I would have had very, very different expectations, very, very different desires, you know, all of that. Uh, but I, I think that just depending on what your appetite is, um, it's, it's really going to determine how heroic you want your character to be. So, I mean, I, when I think, for example, like, and I, I hate to use the shitty Star Wars movies as an analogy, but one of the most disappointing things for me uh, in the recent Star Wars movies was how they, they set up the Rey character to potentially be a, a hero who started out as a nobody, as a true nobody. Because all of the other Star Wars heroes, like Luke Skywalker, was desperate, right? He was a Skywalker. His father was Darth Vader. He was destined to become a hero. And when they hinted at this new Jedi, truly came from nobody and could, could become heroic with no destiny, with no universe pushing her to become a hero. And by the second movie, which was the last one I watched, that when they said, yeah, you're, you come from nothing and yet you can be something. And then I heard in the third movie, oh no, she came from, you know, like force royalty. At this point in my life, as, a, as a, somebody who's interested in gaming, I'm just tired of this. You know, I don't want the universe to force your hand to be heroic. It's far more interesting to me now as a player and as a GM to, to let people become heroic rather than the universe forcing them to be that. So where the rubber meets the road for me is not just in those, you know, uh, anything like big heroic moments, but anytime as a player that I feel um, the hint of contrivances where I'm being treated special because I'm a player. Um, it really pulls me out of the world. If I feel like I'm getting any kind of special treatment, um, and this is even if I'm, if my character is doing something to investigate, I'm searching for something, and I just happen to find it, or I happen to luck into things. I don't know. It's 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 very kind of touch and go as to whether I accept it or not. If I feel like contrivances of the GM are helping me along, I'm annoyed. Mm -hmm. I want to feel like whatever I did is part of a, a logical causal chain in the world. So, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a big part of it. Another angle on this is going to be, can things happen to the player characters that would logically happen to others in the world, or are you shielding them? Like I referenced earlier, the sphere of PC protection. I'm a player character, therefore certain things don't happen to me. And so one common one would be, Let's say that you're in some scenario where you know, or maybe you don't know. Maybe you're, you're, you're a player character in a scenario where there are assassins in the world. And these assassins are, 
let's say, masters of the wood, and they can snipe you or maybe sneak up on your bedroll and cut your throat. This is all part of the scenario, right? So the question is, you as GM, are you okay telling the player, okay, Nate, um, you're dead, sorry, and then tell you, telling you, okay, you were actually killed by an assassin. So uh, again, I mean, that's that's a hard one, but what do you guys do and what are the pros and cons of that? Yeah, for, for the sake of, yeah, for me, this comes down to story and player enjoyment. You know, every time I've GM'd a campaign, either my players already knew it or I, I made it clear to them at the start that their character can die in this campaign. And I've made sure that all of my players were okay with that. You know, like explicitly, like you're okay with your character dying in this campaign. However, um, it isn't fun if the, you know, if the, the I say, okay, you, you go to, you know, you're sleeping in the woods, you go to bed, you know, you fall asleep, somebody's on watch, okay? And then I suddenly take the player to the side and say, your, your throat was slit in the middle of the night. That's not fun. You know, nobody wants that. Nobody wants to, to experience that in the game. Okay. I might be willing to do that after I've introduced the situation. Like, there, they, you know, events make them aware that assassins are after them. And that it's possible that you're going to fall asleep and that you might actually be killed in your sleep. And so I, I would introduce them to the scenario and let them get used to it and actually make preparations. Like, well, what am I gonna do to prevent, you know, getting murdered in my sleep? And then I would allow for the possibility and I would allow them to roll it, you know, just to make sure that they're participating in that. And that, that makes the, that, that situation fun. But I, I wouldn't just arbitrarily hand of God okay, you're dead and assassin killed you. Well, it wouldn't be arbitrary. It would be, you know, the, the, well, no, all mean, of the uh, elements leading up to it were justified. Yeah, right. But uh, for me, again, it would come back to whether it is fun for the player. And if I were to, to run a, just a super strict campaign that way, where this is a possibility, I would make sure that the player is participating in it somehow. You know, just so that they're it's that they're involved, that it's it's not just happening to them, um, because just shit happening to you, you know, and you have no control over anything, that may be realistic, but it's not enjoyable. It doesn't yeah, that yeah, you're right. The, that that the getting cut, getting your throat cut in your sleep is the furthest extreme of the examples I can think of. <laughs> so let's uh, back it up a little bit. Uh, and I don't know, uh, John, let me, I guess we should ask you the same question. Would you let a player get their throat cut in their sleep or would you do something to prevent it? Uh, I think that's circumstantial, but uh, yes and no. If if I were to tell them that um, wherever you're camped at is a known uh, assassin's area where they just go and anybody who goes along this road doesn't come out the other side. And the rumor is that it's the assassin's guild that's taking everybody out. No, no discretion. Everybody who goes down the road and camps 
you know, dies or they're never heard from again. And I, and, and I've said that multiple times, you know, maybe the bartender at the end says, Oh no, no, nobody goes down the North road or an MPC or maybe another player character knew about it. And they ignore red flag after red flag after red flag. And they decide, ah, well, we're, we're going to go down there and find these assassins. Okay. And they go down the road and they camp just like everyone else does. And somebody's dying. Somebody's probably going to die that night. I'm going to roll it out, but I'm going to make a stealth roll. I'm going to make an awareness roll. I'm going to make a, um, a surprise attack roll on a prone target. And they're probably going to die. Um, I would do that um, with fair warning. And after a certain amount of that, I would get tired as a GM of keeping telling the players, hey, stop or I'll say stop again. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the cause and effect. You decide you made the willing decision to go down that path. And now you're going to suffer the consequences if the dice roll it out that way. Um, on the other side of the coin, um, if they take the preparations and, and maybe they have no choice but to go down that road to go do some other noble task on the other side or whatever, and they do all their due diligence, they do it with trepidation. No, I'm not going to have an assassin. I may have an attempt, make that an, an attempt. Maybe the assassin stumbles or fumbles or makes a noise and they wake up and they have a, now, now it's a die roll combat instead of just your throat slit. I see that playing out that way, but I've also had, I've had, uh, I, I haven't done a total party kill in a long time, but I had a player a long time ago. This is in the Palladium system, long campaign. They end up getting to this uh, Hydra lair and they had to get some ancient relics out of it. The, the, the Hydra had killed some ancient elf. So the idea was to get the relics inside the cave. And so they drew the, they tried to draw the Hydra out. And we, I had a cavalier knight type of character and they're all kind of watching the Hydra from afar. And the character says, well, he's, he's like, I'm going to get on my horse and get my lance. And I, uh, and then it, well, as soon as he said that, the other players start looking at each other, like, what is he doing? And I'm so you sure you want to do that because you're going to be. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get my charge bonus and attack the Hydra. <laughs> you know, it's like a mouse running up against an elephant. This is not, it's not going to work. And I kind of, I kind of said, you sure you want to do that? You sure you want to do that? You know, this is not a good idea. I don't think you know you're going to make it through this. And he's like, no, no, I'm doing, I'm, I'm heroic, noble, blah, blah, blah. And he did it, and I killed him right there in front of everybody. And I didn't feel bad about doing it. And he was pissed off at me completely. And I don't think I ever game with a guy again. Nice guy, but that why ended you, our Why do you think he was mad? Uh, because I think his perception of what hero is and doing, that's a heroic thing, you know, out of the storybook fairy tale. That is what the knight's supposed to do, right? That's his time to shine. And I think, and we didn't touch on this yet, but the idea of hero is subjective. And I like to play low grounded heroes as opposed to Achilles or the Legolas from the films who can't be killed, can kill anything and is, you know, I don't like those kind of heroes. They're boring. You know, Superman is kind of boring really because he's invulnerable to everything. You know, it's just why he's boring. Yeah. So I, I like to have, you know, you know, the, the players are a step above the norm, but they are not gods. They are sub they're subject to, most of the law, all the laws of, you know, that govern the world, the players are subjected to, but they do get the benefit of the doubt when it can be given. All right. So I'm hearing a couple of things. One of them is that 
you're not willing to, and I guess none of us are, uh, myself included, are willing to have the players be traveling. Um, and then I say, well, I'm sorry, guys, you all died. And here's what happened. None of us are, are willing to do that. Yeah. So that, that's the furthest extreme. Right, but not because it's not realistic, but because it doesn't, it's not a good story. It's not a good time. Yeah, for me, it's yeah, it's not a good time. Uh, so the the next step back is in the cases when everyone is forewarned. Okay, you guys are in a really dangerous uh, situation here. So then I'm not sure what your answers are. Maybe you both have different answers. Um, John is saying that even then he's not willing to let a player's throat be cut in the night. Is that right, John? I know. Well, they're not going to get a free pass. I, I can say that. So no free pass. If you've been what, warned, what do you mean? Go ways. Um, if so, again, I'm not going to just tell them they're dead. I'm going to roll it out behind the screen. I'm going to yeah, roll yeah. all the sure. rolls. And if they end up dying, then they're dead. So you will let their, th- let them get their throat cut. No, they let, it's not, they will let themselves be killed by. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, yes. You let, yeah. you let the cause and effect chain go at that point when they were right. born. But, but if I don't tell them anything, there's, you know, there's no, there's no uh, due diligence on my part as a GM to warn them. Right. And I just like, oh yeah, you turn around uh, at the crossroads and you head north and you see a, a dark wooded forest, uh, you know, on the horizon and you go through it on the road and then I kill them then. They had no idea. That's that's total. That's garbage. That's a bad GM. Yeah, I wouldn't enjoy. I wouldn't do that either. It would always have to be something. Yeah, something further back from that extreme. I, I actually don't know any GM who would be willing to go to the furthest extreme of as far as you know, everything's fine. And now you're dead. (laughs) I don't Uh, think that's ever happened in any game I've ever played. I mean, I'm sure it's happened. There are people who do that, especially if you're just doing one shots. If you're doing a one shot, there's no that, investment and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but for those are different. That's a different yeah, thing. Yeah, you're right. Those are different animals altogether. You're right. Okay, so let's go back a step then. Let's say that um, there's no, there's this interesting thing I, I've heard for years about, well, I warned the PCs and they, did something stupid, therefore it's okay to kill them. There's an interesting choice being made there that says if the players are smart, then their characters are not going to be subject to cause and effect as much as if the players are dumb, now we'll let cause and effect rain down on them. There's this this theme that goes on along those lines, and it's it's highly nuanced. But uh, okay, let me throw another example at you because this will flesh out what I'm talking about. So you have some characters who are aware of some level of predicament. Let's say they're going up against characters who they know are dangerous for a, a myriad of reasons. And they're traveling through the woods. Let's say that that's the extent of the PC's knowledge. They know that the enemy is dangerous, lethal, murderous, whatever. They're traveling through the woods. 
And one of the enemies is an archer who shoots them stealthily. Are you willing to, in that scenario, to let the arrow fly and kill the PC? And if so, what's the difference so, be, between the throat cut and the arrow? Because so we're talking I, about one second of action. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I, opine I on that. Perfect example of this. So, in my last Homebrew World campaign, my players, two of my elven players, were chasing a dark elf archer ranger and the, the dark elf ranger was twice their level he's like 15th and the players are like seventh and in, in the system i'm running you you are completely outclassed on that role master yeah and so um and the evidence that warmed the players wasn't something i just said well this guy's tough because i don't like doing that either i don't like telegraphing things that they shouldn't know but they deduced that this ranger this dark drow ranger had killed a high level drow mage and another of his, another drow ranger and, and absconded with a bunch of magic items for himself. And he went North. And one of the items in question was one of the ones the players were trying to find. And so they knew that this guy was something, right? Okay. So the players were following this drow ranger for days and days. And I had had, uh, some discussions with my friend Chris about how do I handle this? Because this guy, if this guy gets the drop on the players, they're dead. Every time you, you run the scenario a hundred times and 99 out of the hundred, the players die. And he says, we went back and forth. Um, and I felt like the, the, the fair thing to do in this situation was to play it out. And if they actually found him, which is a series of tracking roles and, making some decisions on which way to go, et cetera. And so I, I end up determining the timing of the event, when, when would happen, and at what point did the characters come in close enough proximity where a perception roll was required. So I figured all that out, made the rolls. The, the, the Dark Elf got the jump on him. He, he heard them first because he's more attuned, better ranger, higher level, all that. And so he's waiting with his longbow drawn, waiting and hiding right off the road as they're coming up behind him. And... He, he just moves out from the tree and fires, and I fumbled. But had I not rolled a one through four, one of the characters probably would have died. But the, the freak accident saved them, and it was the dice that did it, but I would have I was just as willing to let that die roll be anything and, and roll the crit. And and I and I thought I thought, how would they have responded to this? Okay, you're walking along, all of a sudden your friend gets an arrow in the neck and he drops and he's bleeding out. What do you do? I hit the deck. That's all the guy has to do. And he can just take off again. He can go, he can put miles and miles between the two players and there's nothing they can do about it. And they're not going to find him again because now he knows he's being chased. So, so you would have been okay with, um, had the dice uh, not gone yeah. wonky, you would have been yeah. okay. Now the question yeah. is, how would have your players reacted to, okay, you're dead? Well, uh, you know, the chances of one-shotting somebody in Rollmaster is low. I mean, you can kill... Oh. Um, you can one-shot them, and there's probably uh, – at, at his firing position, he's probably going to max out on the chart, so he's going to get the worst severity crit. And then, you know, once you get on the crit chart, you know, you roll 66 or you roll 90 or above on a D100, they're dead. All right, let's assume let's assume it's a kill shot. How yeah. would their players have reacted to one minute they're going along, the next second they're dead? 
one of them would have died. And then the debate for me was, do I go finish the other guy off or do I just take off? And I think. Right. But John, I, Dan, what Daniel's asking is not about what the characters would have done, but what, yeah. how the players would have accepted that situation. They probably would have thought I was being an asshole. Now, why and, is that? I don't know. Well, it's, That's, I, I don't think it's that hard to figure out. It's not a good story. That's the thing. You know, okay, if, but some your, people, I see what you're saying. Okay. If your character just suddenly has their switch flipped and they're just dead, that's not fun. Well, it would be fun for me because <laughs> I don't I don't want a an epic story. I want the feeling, and this goes back to, you know, the other world immersion thing. I want to be a real person in the real world. I want the skill set that my character has. Like, I want to be better at everything than I am. Um, but I love, I love the feeling of if I'm in this situation, and of course, I, I would never be happy with the, sorry, you wake up, you're dead. Mm-hmm. But if I'm tr- if I'm tracking a guy who I know is really fucking dangerous, and all of a sudden an arrow has killed me, I'm happy with that. I, I think the other the, there's a redemption piece to this. That let's say let's say that that did happen. Let's say he didn't fumble and he kills one of them, and then he takes off. The reward, if they are ever to pursue him hmm. in mass and get him finally, that adds to the 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 um, richness of the story. Like, oh yeah, he killed. He killed Billy Bob, our best friend, and we finally got this guy. <laughs> you know, you know, justification. And the character has to obviously the character who loses the player who loses the character, that sucks. And I get it. I totally get it. Because I yeah, I invest a lot in my players and the characters they run from my perspective. And I I hate to see it, but again, I'm not willing to pull those kind of punches. Think about, you know, think about the last time you played a video game. No, I mean it doesn't matter what kind of video game. And you suddenly got killed and you don't know why, right? And in that moment, I mean, what you, your, your actual second to second experience, it's just a moment of frustration. You're like, what the fuck? What, what the hell happened? And then yeah. you, you, know, you go back to your save and you keep playing. It's not a fun moment. It's a moment of just like, what the hell was that? And then you go back and you keep trying, you try to get past that moment again. Right, but... That's not fun in that moment to just like discover that you're dead. It's not fun. Well, now, in this in the scenario he just des- described, they knew what they were doing. They okay. were tracking a and, really and dangerous that, that guy. Could work. Yeah, that could work as long as I mean it's it's uh, think think about like why people enjoy watching poker. Some people genuinely enjoy watching it and the reason yeah, that. is because you have these step by step upping the ante. Yeah. Where each character, or not not character, each player in the poker game has a moment where they uh, decide to accept the risk. And you can do that in this sort of scenario where you reveal to the player, little by little, like, oh, you're coming up against a badass that you've never faced before. And you've got this little upping the ante moment by moment. And then once the players are fully on board with that, then you can flick a switch. And they, they, they take a headshot, you know, without knowing that they were being aimed upon. But the, I think the, the decision for the players to follow the tracks to find this guy, at that moment, they decided they're all in. 
<laughs> well, right. but you're, you're chasing in the, moment, in the moment to moment gameplay. I mean, you, you can't, you can't just assume that they're all in. But okay. But, but if you look at the specifics though, they, uh, they were, they knew they were chasing a, a, a dark elf, mm-hmm. a high skilled dark elf. Now, whether they knew he was a ranger or not, what they did find is he, he killed a, a mage and he killed another ranger and took all his yeah. stuff. John, this is the type of stuff I'm talking about. This is the upping. Right. right. So I, I am not going to tell as a GM, hey, this guy's really high level. You should really yeah. be careful. Of that never not. will come out of my mouth. Yeah. No, of course not. Uh, yeah. You yeah. But them with the story, things yeah. that will make sure that they understand, you know, what what they're right. going up against. But I, I don't. I think fact, it's about the story. It is, and, and I, um, but the story sometimes means that the heroes die. Well, of course, yeah, of course it does. You know, yeah, and sometimes they're not the best death. They're not a great death. Sometimes they they suck. Yeah. <laughs> but. No, not not you know, if the character get gets a hero's death. Of course not. Right. Yeah. No, and I, and I also think. Well, I mean, killing, like, killing the character. The important thing is avoiding the the hand of God situation. You know, yeah. God reaches down and just flicks your brains out. Yeah. I mean, that that's not an enjoyable thing. But I think in the story, right, then leading to a non-heroic death, it can work. Is as, as crass as this is going to sound, I think it pays dividends in the long run. If you're with a relate, if you if you have a gaming group relationship that goes years and years, and you play different games together, when you kill one of those players at some point, you get some you get some respect later that you don't have to buy again, right? You're you're kind of paying you're paying it forward for yourself because people know that you're not going to pull you're not going to shoot them with nerf darts every time they get into a bad spot, you know? Yeah. yeah. So if we were trying to articulate this, like, again, uh, like I said um, early on, we, we don't have a lot of good categories and terms for gaming styles about all these arenas. So I don't know what, what title we would put on this. On the one hand, we're, we're all admitting that we, we don't want to play in a world where unexpectedly you're dead. Like we're, we're all kind of in agreement that we don't want that, but not too far from that is where I sit, which is where if you're a player and you are, like aware, like in the, what John's been describing. So you have these two uh, rangers who are hunting another ranger who they have every reason to believe is lethal. Mm-hmm. So where I lie on that is that if they both die, that's totally legit. Mm-hmm. And so like if you were to talk with a, a group of players before you ever played together, like I would say something like, this is a, a cause and effect world and all of you can die at any point, period. Like, is that is that what we're saying? But then we're not really saying that because we're saying there are some exceptions to that. My, my friend who I have, this is my arch nemesis as a player to GM, me GM, human player, that this is where we differ. And his... You know, believes that no dice should ever kill a player. Mm. Now, what does that mean? 
So that means, so, um, like, uh, I don't know, uh, let's say, uh, uh, you're riding your horse in combat and it's rocky terrain and I require you to go ahead, please give me a, a riding roll. So you roll your ride and we'll say you fumble. Okay. And you fumble, you fall off your horse. Now we, we roll a fall, a fall roll and you have a catastrophic failure on the dice again. And that leads to you taking, you know, max damage or, you know, then, then we roll on a crit. I'm just making this up. And then you kill yourself on the crit roll. You're dead because you failed a riding roll. He would never do that. And I probably wouldn't do that either. Uh, but I think um, his perception is if the players aren't playing stupid, dice will never kill them. That's yeah. just kind of that's okay. Just that's what I was alluding to earlier. There's this old tradition that says if the players are playing smart, they're protected. And I don't like yeah. that. I don't either. But I'm a softy in my old age and I tend not to kill characters. I, I'm getting softer as I'm getting older. There, there is certainly something to be said for, you know, again, going back to like the, the needless death idea that, you know, it, it, it's true that, you know, like every year, something like 600 people die slipping in the bathtub. And it's a totally realistic thing to say that slipping in the bathtub could actually lead to your death. So falling off a horse absolutely could absolutely, you know, could lead to your death. Yeah. But again, you know, it, it, when it comes to like, well, why are you gaming? You know, if, <laughs> if you're gaming to tell a story, then the character randomly falling off their horse and dying is a bad story, no matter how realistic it is. Yeah, um, I, I guess, I guess you're right. I mean, who's who wants to who wants to have a mundane yeah. thing lead to death? But on the other hand, let's say. I want to pull a Thelma and Louise and I want to jump across a chasm, yeah. uh, then I should be able to die. And not a chasm, oh, but you know, uh, whatever a big, a big horse jump yeah. is, Yeah. No, if, you know, if, yeah, in if something is, yeah, something's the- driving me that far to like, okay, I'm going to get this horse to maximum speed and I'm going to make this jump. Life and death is already on the table. Right. Yeah. So in that situation, yeah. But, but I, I wasn't talking about, just walking along the, the prairie with your horse. I'm talking about you're riding in a, in a treacherous terrain in combat going, you know, going full out. Yeah. That merits. A, yeah. A series of rolls after that, because of, you know, just bad luck, I wouldn't probably kill the character. I'd knock them out or maim them. So they have, you know, that they're out of capacity for two months or whatever, but I'm not killing them in that regard. Well, I mean, this but in, your, in the Thelma and Louise example. Yes. Roll the dice. You don't make, you didn't open end to get, to get the super roll to make the chasm, then you die. Yeah. 99% of people who jump a horse off a cliff, the horse and the rider dies. I mean, that, yeah. that's, again, that's, that's realism. And nobody would do it unless they, no character would do it unless they are trying to kill themselves. Yeah. You know? And so again, it, it, it you know, I, I talk about serving the story, telling a good story, but characters making stupid decisions that then you have to, you have to revert to, you know, realism, you know, you don't, you don't charge full on against, you know, the immortal man at arms, right? Yeah. You die. Yeah. So, but that, that's the thing is that like finding that balance between telling the good story and letting the, the reality of your fantasy world actually have real consequences 
that it's, it's, it's important to keep that balance. Yeah, I, I tend to I tend to uh, take off the kids' gloves in layers as the players advance in level. So, and you know, when it gets to a certain point, I really the dice become the dice, and if I roll a high crit in a combat, mm-hmm. you're going to get the high crit. So, you do know, you I, mean that early on in a campaign, you're actually protecting the the characters from dying? I am a little bit because I'm also protecting my vested time and interest in, in making those characters with the player. The background integration, the story, would be, all the Wouldn't it be easier to keep them out of fights? Well, because then I mean, you don't yeah, have to fudge you, anything. No, I, I mean, no, I, I mean, I, I try not to give them opportunities to get themselves into danger early on, and mm-hmm. and in the event that those things do happen, I'm not killing them. Huh. I won't kill first level character unless, again, unless the stupid factor trumps you know, my, my desire to not kill them, you know, cause they could just say, well, I don't care. I'm going to go into the, you know, the, the guard hall and pick a fight with the captain of the guard and insult him until he wants to go. And then, then if we're in combat and I, I high roll on you, you're going to take what I, you're going to take what you get, you know, yeah. but I, I try not to do that. Cause I want like kind of leaning to what Nate was saying, the story has to, the pebble has to start rolling down the hill and you can't, you can't get that momentum going if you know if the players are dead before it starts to roll. You know, so I, I tend to put the kids' gloves on for you know a couple levels, and then you know the subtlety of warning characters about dumb things they could possibly be doing that starts to go away. And you know when they get to seventh, eighth level, ninth. I don't tell, I don't give them any hints. They've already learned it. And if they haven't figured it out by then, then they're going to find out the hard way. Yeah. That, that, I think that's an element of world building that we don't talk about enough. You know, that when people refer to world building, they're talking about the lands, the peoples, the languages, the cultures, the histories. But for the, for the players, you know, just kind of letting them know uh, consequences are real in my world. And they become used to that notion. And then eventually they reach a point where it's like, you, you don't have to warn them. This this guy you're pursuing is actually deadly and he actually could kill you. Yeah. At, at that point, they're just assuming it. Yeah. I think that's, that's part of building the world. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm going to force myself to stop this now. Um, thanks, guys, for your rambling and nonsense. And uh, we will do this again next yeah, time. Always willing to impart my rambling nonsense. <laughs> uh, next time we will get into the worlds that we game in and how they affect the experience that we're after. 